0: Here you go. Here you go. 58 and a half hours. That's nothing personal word of the day for Friday, February ninth, 2024. We are exactly, if you're listening to this live on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel, you are 58 and a half hours away from Super Bowl kickoff. And I've got so much baseball to talk about with the owners meetings happening in Orlando, but I wanna start with a few things on the Super Bowl side because that's gonna be the focus for two World Series worth of fans will be watching the Super Bowl this coming Sunday. Parties, for those of you celebrating with people or alone, or however you wanna do it, I wanna give you five things to think about. Now, I'm gonna build to number one, but just know my overall number one, spoiler alert, is that the Super Bowl was always a great day when you run a baseball team because once the Super Bowl ends, finally, it's enough of the NFL and it's baseball season. You know that spring training is starting within a week or two weeks. In this case, it's within days. As a matter of fact, today, because of the games in Korea, the Dodgers start spring training. So you will see video of balls, gloves, and bats, PFPs. All right, what are the top five things I'm thinking about as we head into Sunday? Number five, I'm thinking about Mr. Irrelevant. And why is nobody talking about Brock Purdy? Last guy chosen in the draft has taken his team to the Super Bowl And we're all talking about McCaffrey, we're talking about Shanahan, we're talking about Swift and Kelsey, and the other Kelsey, not even in the game. And Mahomes, Mahomes' wife is going to be in the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. And the best thing we have to say about Purdy is that he looks like Lee Harvey Oswald. How about giving the guy a little credit? This is a huge, huge moment for him. Can you imagine if Mr. Relevant wins a ring? How do you think I'm just picturing the other owners like David Tepper with their their shiny quarterbacks who didn't win squat for them. And there's Brock Purdy getting the trophy. Come on. Four. Do you know that Sunday, in about 62 hours, either we'll have a team repeating for the first time in 19 years or the Niners will be Super Bowl champions. The line of writing and articles and tweets will be about the Chiefs dynasty. Is it a dynasty? Yes. Is Shanahan now the coach? He finally won one, maybe. Brock Purdy hoisting the MVP trophy or McCaffrey? Remember Shanahan is under the Dan Quinn tree. Shanahan was in a Super Bowl, the offensive coordinator, when the Falcons blew that 28 to three lead. I don't know if you remember that, but Shanahan gets to make good. Either way, it's such a great storyline for the NFL. There've been so many distractions, and that is the third thing I've been thinking about all weekend is what's gonna happen heading into Sunday kickoff? What more distractions are we gonna have as it relates to Vegas? Who's gonna get arrested? Who's gonna get hurt? What's gonna happen? Is it gonna be weather? Is it cold? Is it rainy? Is it floody? Are there ticket price issues? Did Taylor Swift land? And I assume she's already in Vegas. So many distractions. When players are playing in the Super Bowl or the World Series, we would do everything we could when we were in the World Series to not have the players distracted with anything. We'd try to do everything for them, but it's absolutely impossible to do that and the reason it's impossible is you don't control what happens when they're not in your sight and so when they're home or in the hotel in football they try to bring you to Lake Las Vegas have you stay in a hotel the night before a regular season game away from your family even during a home game what do they take your phones away like you're on Survivor it is impossible to deal with all the distractions and what the players love is kickoff or first pitch because then it feels normal to them. Number two, as we think about this game and all the distractions and the storyline of the game, does the NFL care? Do you care whether it's a competitive game? Do you care when the Broncos beat, was it the Redskins or the Bills? They beat somebody 55-10. Do you like it when a Super Bowl is decided on the last play, when the Titans are a yard away from winning? Does it matter to you? Well, it may matter to you, but here's who it doesn't matter to, the NFL. Roger Goodell does not sit there scripting a close competitive game. It doesn't make a difference. Everybody has already paid their money. They have gotten what they bargained for. It is a bonus when it's a good game, but certainly doesn't matter if it's not. So I am interested to see whether it's a competitive game because then if it is and the numbers come out the way the numbers are gonna come out, people say, oh, it was a great game. That's total horse hockey. The reason why the numbers for Sunday's game are going to be what they are is because it's the Niners who are a huge draw, not just in this country, but around the world. And the Chiefs, who are a global brand with the best quarterback in the game and and Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is the number one storyline that I'm thinking about. The pressure on Taylor Swift to attend games, to stay in a relationship. Now, of course they may be in love, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, and I'm not gonna take up another minute of your time with anything about her schedule or the engagement, not. Pregnancy, not. Political endorsement, not. Mentioned during the MVP speech trophy presentation, not. Forget all that. But Taylor Swift is so super excited for the Super Bowl because she doesn't have to go to games again until next season. And trust me, by then, if they're still together, they will have dated long enough that you won't go to every game anymore. It's sort of like how relationships settle into a rhythm. Oh, it feels new. It's just new again. That's not real life, folks. That's only in the movies. So what about the size of the Super Bowl audience? Let me give you a wait to see, and this is a guaranteed win. Four years ago, the Chiefs played the Niners in the Super Bowl. It was February of 2020. 118.5 million people watched across all platforms. Why am I choosing that one? Because I want to make the hurdle just a little bit higher. Because last year, the number was 115.1. So my way to see is that total viewers for this Super Bowl will be greater than 118.5 across all platforms, which was the number from February of 20. Why? The NFL will tell you in a postseason press conference that this is about the health of the NFL. You'll read articles about the product and the behemoth and the juggernaut that is the NFL. And I say to you, no, the reason why we'll get these numbers, and this is real, and now we can actually measure it. There really is a swift effect. There will be people watching this game who ordinarily wouldn't. They wouldn't need to, don't want to. But they will. I'll be watching the game and I'll be keeping track of all of my picks. And I'm just thankful there's no more basketball picks this week because I believe, Coca, that I may have gone 0 for the week. Not positive. Can you imagine lebitards in Vegas texting me, I am live. I don't know, it's five in the morning there. All right, Dan. So I want to remind you of my picks of the day. I had the Pacers six and a half versus over the Warriors. The Warriors crushed them last night. We're 17 and 23. But we have a chance to right now get back to par. I was 0 and 4 this week with basketball picks, which is downright embarrassing. You recall the prop bets. McCaffrey first Niners TD plus 165. That's already in. McCaffrey in Anytime T D is a double unit bet minus 210. That's already in. Travis Kelsey, Anytime T D. That's already in. Who's not loving these props? Everyone in a box pool? I got my numbers, Coca, for a big box pool I'm in. Nine and nine. What are my chances of that? Three field goals, six field goals, nine-nine. Maybe. Four touchdowns, one with the two-point conversion for 29-29. That'd be something. Travis Kelsey, Anytime TD. Yesterday, we gave you Brock Purdy over 266.5 combined yards. So those are our four prop bets. My fifth prop bet is the coin toss. Yes, I'm doing it. I do it every year. I mean, I used to really only do it every year. Minus 100, tails never fails. Now let's get to the game. It's time to pick the game. A lot of you may be thinking what I was gonna do, but those of you paying attention to nothing personal, you know already what my pick is. Raise your hand if you know who I'm picking. Studio audience, Coca, anybody. Don't cheat, Coca. Remember I told you that I will not again bet against the Chiefs? That was your hint. We're taking the Chiefs plus two. Now, why are we taking the Chiefs when the Niners are a far better opponent than anyone they've played, including Buffalo? When the Niners' offense is simply outstanding, but the Chiefs' defense may be better than their offense. When people are complaining about the Chiefs' offense, but that's not playoff Chiefs' offense. When they've got a chance to make history and continue their dynasty and repeat for the first time in 19 years and then go for three in a row next season, why not? When the NFL has a chance to bring Travis Kelsey back and make sure he doesn't retire because he wants to be a part of three in a row, it makes too much sense. Chiefs plus two. Now, if I'm taking the Chiefs plus two, and I'm telling you the Chiefs are going to win, you can bet your bippy we have a parlay coming. We're taking Chiefs in the money line and the under. Under, yes, under 47 and a half. That gets us plus 285. Chiefs money line under parlay plus two eighty five. Those are my picks. You can book them, and we'll review them on Monday when I start that climb back to five hundred with the spring training game picks. No, I really won't do that. So I, I appreciate Metalark Media. You know I do, and I always tell you that it's just Coca and David who do this show every day. So there are limits to what we're able to do. Yesterday's show, and this is when a staff of five would have a video ready of what I did in yesterday's show. So for those of you who haven't listened, you can go back because I'm taking receipts. I told you that at the end of owner's meetings, Rob Manfred meets the media. No big deal, of course he does. Every commissioner does at the end of owner's meetings, always. But I told you what Rob Manfred was gonna talk about. I went through the subjects and what he was gonna say, and he hadn't met the media yet. Well. He's now met the media, and I would just like to review with you a few nuggets from his press conference. As you remember, the way these press conferences work, the commissioner knows exactly what is going to be discussed during an owner's meeting with the owners. The commissioner and his head PR, Pat Courtney, they prepare for the media availability before the owner's meetings even start. They know exactly what the subjects that are going to be discussed, and they know exactly the subjects that are going to be asked, the questions that are going to be asked, and they go over answers, they go over sample QA, they workshop things. Now, of course, you can have as much prep as you want. And when the red light goes on, there can be moments of flubbery. That is normal. That happens to even the most polished speaker. I'm not saying that you would confuse who presidents of countries are. I'm just saying that there are times when the camera's on that you have to 4869 it. I have to 4869, the 4869. So, you think they weren't ready for the question on the A's? So, a couple of things that I'd like to point out that the commissioner said that is being misinterpreted in the media. The media is reporting that the commissioner is getting antsy about the A's, that John Fisher's on the clock. So, when you are in the middle of a stadium deal, that is not completed, the commissioner is used as a talking head of leverage. And the way the commissioner creates leverage is by playing both good guy and bad guy. There are times when you need the commissioner to actually be on the side of the public entity, and there are times that you need the commissioner to be on the side of the team. Spoiler alert, it's all planned in advance when you have the commissioner or the president of baseball or a team owner when you have certain people say certain things at certain times you're doing it strategically so when rob manford says quote i would be disappointed let me say it that way if we didn't open the stadium in opening day 2028 and he's talking about opening the stadium in vegas But he knows very well the hurdles that have to be climbed for the A's to be in Vegas. He knows exactly that a roof doesn't fit in the Tropicana site for nine acres. He knows exactly the state of the financing plan of Fisher, private and public. And he also knows the status of the agreements between the Oakland A's and people in Vegas to operate the building, et cetera. So he is very aware whether or not opening day 2028 can happen and what has to happen and when it has to happen. So when he says he'd be disappointed, it's almost as though he wants you to think, Hey, I don't really know anything, but Hey, if they don't open the by March of 2028, man, I'm going to be despondent. Well, guess what? He's in control of that. now you may think that, no, the team is in total control. It's not really true because the commissioner approves. Even the union gets an approval over what the stadium looks like and how the baseball dimensions are, but the commissioner's office approves the the media deal that will have to happen in Vegas or somewhere else. The commissioner's office approves where the team's going to play temporarily in conjunction with the union. And the best Rob came up with yesterday was, hey, we just know it's going to be somewhere out west. Okay. I guess that's true when talking about the fact that the A's have no place to play in 2025 yet. And the commissioner just said, hey, it'll be somewhere out West. Of course it will be because of travel and because of what division they're in and because there will not be divisional realignment by 2025. And even if there were. So really was not an informative statement that, hey, we're gonna figure that out in the next couple months. It's not figured out by John Fisher and Dave Cavill doing tours of facilities in Salt Lake City and in Sacramento and in Vegas. It's figured out with the commissioner and the commissioner's people when they say to Oakland, hey, this is what you're doing. Now, the commissioner doesn't like when people perceive that he's got the heavy hand or that they've got that much involvement or that much power, but they do. The other thing the commissioner did he had to address Mayor Goodman's comments, saying that the A's should be in Oakland. And he had to do it in a very careful way. And I'm tipping my chapeau to Pat Courtney and his folks. You know that I can be critical of people when they are doing PR, but I can also be complimentary. What he said about the governor's comments, and I wanna get the quote exactly right, because it's an extremely telling quote. He said, all I can say is the governor and all Clark County officials have all been wildly supportive of the A's moving to Las Vegas. I didn't really have a reaction. I mean, frankly, I only caught up to it after she said one thing and then said another. So it kind of canceled each other out in my mind. So I love the statement. Now it's not true that he didn't know about it prior to her walk back or her sort of walk back because he had been told there is, it's, it's literally a dereliction of duty if no one alerted the commissioner as to what this mayor had said and the fact that it was going viral. So the commissioner was told about it. He's got great deputies around him, great PR people around him, great business people around him. But then the walk back statement doesn't just happen. I don't understand why we were meant to think that she just walked it back on her own volition. Hey, I guess I need to release another statement. Come on, have more respect for us than that. But it was a really good quote though, Rob, I will give you that. Other things that came out, he was asked about this new app that's going to combine ESPN and Warner Brothers Discovery and Fox. There's a sporting class episode coming out today that John Skipper and I recorded with Coca's producer with Pablo Torre yesterday. I believe Metal Ark is releasing it today, though I have no guarantees. And we spent almost a half hour talking about this. We covered it on the show yesterday. Rob Manford was asked about it. And he said, I see this development as positive. Another place that'll have to buy rights. Think about that for one second and then listen to the sporting class. And then you will smile, and I don't expect you to give me another 45 minutes of your time today. But in case you do, one of the things we talked about was how John Skipper's view, and I was sort of talked into it maybe, is that this entity is actually not an app. It's just a platform that will compete with YouTube and Hulu, etc. And that in order to get games on MLB, like the ESPN Game of the Week, they'll have to buy rights to it. Does he think they're buying rights from the commissioner directly? That baseball is going to be able to sell a package to this new app? He certainly made it sound that way. John Skipper would have you believe that it's actually just a platform that will just take ESPN, who will do the deal with baseball. And part of ESPN getting baseball is they get to give it to whoever has ESPN. Something's got to give here, Jack Nicholson, because both things can't be right. ESPN cannot be on a platform that MLB sells to as well, separately. It's gonna be fascinating, but Rob sees the development as positive. I think it's particularly good for us. If you think about it, it's our three biggest national media partners, right? All positive, Hmm. until all the articles come out that all three of the groups are working together to try to pay as little as possible for rights fees. (gasps) There's no way they'd ever do that. The other thing that he wanted to make sure that we understood that we've discussed here on nothing personal is amazon's bailout of the regional sports networks of diamond and their bankruptcy where they want all the streaming rights to the games and the commissioner stood up and said no we want it so the commissioner after the owners meeting said by the way we've got a plan we're going to have our own direct to consumer for 2025. And we think we're going to have 14 teams. Well, good luck. Cause they don't have them yet. In order to get the digital rights within central baseball, they need these TV deals to be ended. You think that baseball is going to walk into bankruptcy court and say, we love the Amazon bailout. Let's keep the deals with Bally's. Keep the digital rights with Bally's. Let them sell it to Amazon directly. We're in They're out. And Rob's putting a little balloon out to the judge saying, we've got a business in mind. We want the digital rights. The problem is the judge doesn't care. The judge's job is to reorganize Diamond. The judge's job in chapter 11 is to get them on their feet and get creditors paid. Now MLB and its teams are creditors. So could MLB and its team say, hey, we love this restructure, but you know what? We'll just take our deal back. Not gonna happen. But we have something to look forward to because what it means to you, the fan, if there's a direct to consumer, EOB, end of blackouts. Would that make you happy if you can stream markets in game? Would you all of a sudden feel all good about yourselves that you're paying someone else an amount to get in market streaming? Because it ain't coming for free. The only thing free is STD. All right. What else? Let's get it. That's enough, Rob. Coca, I got to get to some other stuff after a break. So just to sum up, let me, let me sum up the owners meetings. We talked about the Olympics, talked about streaming. The new app, direct to consumers, the Oakland A's situation. Do you know it wasn't talked about that I thought would be, and I didn't see it reported anywhere? The excitement for the season, this preseason owners meeting. It's always in either late January or early February. I always wanted the message to come out from the commissioner, and this is what I always talk to our media about after these owners meetings is, hey, the end owners meetings, Super Bowl, what it really means is we are tied for first. And then I would whisper, we're also tied for last, but we are tied for first. There is hope. Now, you may not have hope for your team, but you should. Until you're out of it, you're in it. All right, we come back, we're gonna review Griselda, and then we're gonna talk about something that happened in baseball and arbitration with the playoff hero, Adolis Garcia, that you will find interesting, I do believe. So stay tuned, we have 21 minutes left Until the weekend, we'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, it's still all about the Celtics and the Nuggets. Will it be a likely matchup between the two powerhouses for the NBA championship? You can bet on the Celtics to beat the Nuggets at +400 or the Nuggets to beat the Celtics at +425 right now. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson and Matthew Coca, the award-winning Nothing Personal. That's never going to get old. Thank you all for your votes. Best sports business podcast, best baseball podcast. We're gonna keep going. So keep telling your friends, add to the party. We keep getting a list of things. January was an epic month. People from, more people from different states and the states that love us. Yes, thank you Missouri and Illinois and New York and Florida and California. Numbers keep growing, so thank you for that. While I am binging Lost and I only have three episodes left, episode 615, 616, and then the finale, and I will watch that this weekend. I happen to work in Griselda because one of the great filmmakers in Miami, Billy Corbin, you may see is because Miami stuff on Metal Arc. I've reviewed several of his documentaries that I would ask you to watch about the pool boy, about square grouper, cocaine cowboys. There was a six-part documentary starring Sofia Vergara that just came out on Netflix called Griselda. Griselda Blanco was the queen of cocaine in Miami in the 70s and 80s. And uh, here's a news alert for all of you people dealing drugs and playing with guns. It's not gonna end well. Now you may live well for a minute if you're Pablo Escobar. Great quote from Pablo Escobar. The only man I was ever afraid of was a woman named Griselda Blanco. And then I watched a six part documentary, uh, excuse me, 4869. Then I watched a six-part miniseries about Griselda. She wasn't that scary. I'm not exactly sure why it was six parts. What were they trying to show that she was insane and paranoid? They trying to show the plight of a detective who devoted her life to catching this woman? Were they trying to make it about how women are never respected? That's just what women want, Helen Hunt. What they want, hey, I'm the boss drug dealer. If I were a guy, you'd be genuflecting. I'm a woman, so I'm gonna shoot you because you're not respecting me. Give me a break. And here's another little nugget for you. Griselda Blanco is to Sofia Vergara as Billy Bean is to Brad Pitt. NEC, not even close. If you're gonna allocate time and you want to learn about cocaine in Miami, then watch the documentaries that Billy Corbin did. Do not spend time on this Griselda six-part limited series. One of you got to me on davidsampsonpodcast.com. Thank you for continuing to buy merch. Loving that and for wearing it. I don't know why we haven't put anything new down. That's because we need we need to hire someone, Coca. Can we get someone from MetalArk to work with us, please? Please? Anyone out there listening on MetalArk? Probably not, because you're texting me at 8.05, but anyone listening, help, run. We had to wait to see. We have a tracking document on davidsampsonpodcast.com. And we keep all the way to seize there because we have accountability, including our crappy picks of the day recently and the movies we review, et cetera. Adolis Garcia, I told you was going to make more than $7 million this coming season in arbitration. He ended up filing at 6.9 million and the team offered him 5 million. So I took it as a loss because even if Garcia had won his arbitration, he was not going to make $7 million. And a little nugget for you, if you do go to arbitration, guess what? You don't get in your contract any incentives 50 grand for all-star 50 grand for silver slugger 50 grand for for gold glove 250 grand for world series mvp 500 grand for regular season mvp if you go to the room the contract is blank no incentives allowed my rule was when we file numbers we're going to trial against that player hard stop unless you sign the player to a long-term contract we did that with mike dunn we avoided arbitration mike dunn who's living in vegas if you're listening at 5 29 a.m locally how are you mikey remember when we gave you that two-year deal to avoid arbitration right when we were about to go into the room literally i was like mike come on aren't you taking this deal he's like fine i don't remember what year that was coca i bet you can find it while we're talking about adolis garcia I think it was Mike Dunn. I could be wrong. I hate when my memory conflates players. I do believe it was him, though. I believe he signed a two-year deal with the Marlins at some point, and the, the article would just say signs two-year deal, comma, avoiding arbitration. Garcia signed a two-year deal with the Texas Rangers on the same day that Josh Hader gave an interview to Foul Territory, Fair Territory, Foul Territory. At the same time that Josh Hader was giving an interview saying that the Rangers didn't sign me because they didn't know about their TV money, which is true. They don't know what kind of money they're gonna get from Diamond. And so they couldn't match what the Astros were offering. And then Hader gave an interview on why he doesn't like doing multi-inning saves. And he said, why would I ever pitch multi-innings when all the arbitrators care about is number of saves, and he's exactly right. All of you analytics guys out there, all of you people who think that you go into the arbitration room and it's a scientific battle, a numeric battle, no. Hey, this guy had 50 saves. He's got 125 saves in his career, over 125 innings over two years, super bulky. He ought to be compared to Eric Gagne, blank, whatever. Who else? I don't know why that name was in my head. Josh Hader said the quiet part out loud. You can make whatever argument you want about high leverage and low leverage and all of the great metrics and Josh Hader Ks per nine and all that crap. What the arbitrators want to see and what you get paid for is saves. Give me saves. So Hader said, I'm not going to blow my arm out giving you multiple innings at different times of the game. I'll pitch the ninth inning for you. That's it. So my question is, now that he got the $100 million from the Astros... He got under 100 million or under what Diaz got. That was another way to see. Did he tell Jim Crane, hey, use me however you want because that's it for me? I would think he would've. Josh Hader, this is it. When closers get these deals, and you know the Chapman and Jansen deal that we offered them back in 2017, they ended up taking from the Yankees and Dodgers respectively. Jansen's now in the Red Sox who are trying to jettison him Chapman just signed that ridiculous deal with some team maybe it was the Pirates I can't remember this offseason Josh Hader this is his moment to make the money so when you combine Josh Hader with Ryan Presley at the back end of the Astros bullpen and all the talk about who's going to get the eighth inning who's going to get the ninth inning Josh Hader doesn't really need saves anymore and if I'm the Astros, I don't want to upset Ryan Presley. I don't want to demote Ryan Presley. What has he done other than be perfect in the postseason? I'll let Hayter pitch the ninth when Presley's down. So you don't have to pitch three days in a row. I'll let Hayter pitch the ninth in a safe situation if Presley gets hurt. But I'm not giving Hayter Presley's job. And Hayter said, no problem. I've got the guaranteed money. Five years hundo. I'm good. It's funny how players are. Do you blame them? Once you've got it locked up, you don't need to worry about arbitration or arm injury or anything. So Garcia is about to go to arbitration with the Rangers, and there's $1.9 million at stake. That's the difference between the bid and the ask. And Garcia ended up signing a two-year deal on the courtroom stairs. Two years with a guarantee of $14 million. So you'd think he's going to make $7 million this year. And my wait to see, as some of you pointed out on davidsampsonpodcast.com or David P. Samson on Twitter, I got one of each. Hey, you took the loss in that wait to see, but maybe you're going to get the win. And I said to Coca, no chance, toilet pants. The reason I'm not going to get the win is when you offer an uh, arbitration player two years, you backload it because you're trying to save money in the current year and push as much out to the next year as possible. So the actual deal, believe it or not, they're not even paying him 5 million this year, which was what they offered him for arbitration. It's 4.75. And then next year, he's guaranteed 9.25. There are escalators and all sorts of interesting things. If he has a great year, wins MVP, he can make another four five or $6 million, depending on where he finishes. But the bottom line is, the Rangers got a current day cash flow break. And people used to think, oh, the Marlins are the only team that does that. No, every team is trying to backload contracts, defer money, do whatever you can to make this year's cash needs as manageable as possible. So Garcia's back with the Rangers. What do you think the chances are that he has the same sort of years he had last year postseason? I'm going to say probably not. What just happened in the NBA? I don't know what you're saying to me. I can't Oh, yes, it did. The remember the trade that just happened it was the NBA trade deadline yesterday. By the way, boring. Didn't even make the show. Oh, Robin Lopez got traded and was reading a book on the sidelines when the Bucks traded him. Oh, I thought I was gonna be teammates with Pat Pav. Oh, sorry. The Raptors traded with the Nets, they got Spencer Dinwiddie and then released him so they wouldn't have to pay him the one and a half million dollar bonus for like appearances or games played. You think teams aren't paying attention to stuff like this? For crying out loud meatloaf, I carried it around in my briefcase. I carried around rosters. I carried around important papers and documents. I also carried around our payroll and the incentives. And I would get updates on a weekly basis where players were. Oh no, I'm the only executive to ever do that. Everybody else, David, why didn't you just give away the 70 grand to Joe Flacco? Comeback player of the year over Hamlin, give me a break. Wasn't Flacco the guy Coco got paid for not playing week 18? And he would have made like 70 grand, so the Browns just gave it to him. Yeah, that's not common. Yeah, I'm the only one. You're right. I'm Mr. Bad Guy David, not wanting to give players bonuses that they didn't earn. Oh, you would have earned it, but for not playing in Week 18. You would have earned it, but for being on the roster. Hey, you're not on the roster. We cut you. You think the Raptors are going to still pay the million and a half? You think it's just a coincidence? Oh, they traded him? No, they traded him. They didn't wanna give him the million and a half. Do you blame him? All right. I'm gonna switch topics now to something I've been trying to cover because it was a question that came up from one of you this week, and I've not been able to get to it, but I promised I would get to it by the end of the week. Coca. You know what I want. (laughs) I wanna talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. It's the movie Half-Baked. There's a character named Samson. If you have a question for me, get onto my Twitter at David P. Samson. DMs are open. No, I cannot respond to all, but I try. Reach me at davidsampsonpodcast.com. I can't respond to every email, but I try. Hello, David. Hello. Side note up front. I'll never understand why any person would want to be in Las Vegas. Well, give me a minute, I'll tell you and also to each their own. True. Considering the stance you've previously taken regarding parental culpability and consequence in general, as well as your well-expressed opinions and intentions concerning gun violence, I hope we hear your reaction to the Michigan mom ruling and your perception of the effects of it going forward. Thanks again, and as always, for your relentless pursuit of your personal and professional expression of truth. Thank you for that. And you've given me an opportunity, which I am taking advantage of, to talk to you about something that happened in Michigan this past week, where a woman named Jennifer Crumbly was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. And no, she didn't fire a gun the way Alec Baldwin did, who's also been charged with involuntary manslaughter. She's the mother of a mass shooter. I wanna give you the facts. There was a kid, a troubled kid. There was a kid who was having violent thoughts. There was a kid who drew bad pictures and the school called the parents into school and said, hey, take your kid home, get him help. And the parents said, no, we gotta work, you keep him. And then he did a mass shooting. These are parents who bought their 15-year-old a gun. These are parents who received text messages, begging for therapy, denied, expressing violent thoughts, ignored. Involuntary manslaughter is a crime, and I want to explain what it is. There is no way in my mind that any mother, including Jennifer Crumbly, would ever think or hope that her child is a mass murderer, but intent has nothing to do with it. If you are grossly negligent or reckless, if you have information that you know or reasonably should have known, you can be guilty of involuntary manslaughter. It's why you don't serve your kids drinks underage and not have them sleep over. Friends of your kids. It's why bars are super serious about overserving. This woman, Jennifer Crumley, the jury decided after many, many hours of deliberation that the prosecution had proven their case, that she was reckless and negligent, that she should have known and should have stopped, got in the way, helped prevent what the child did. The thing that people are doing now in the media, however, is they're petrified with this verdict. They're saying, OMG, what do we do now? If parents are being held culpable slippery slope, that's it, parents are gonna be found guilty left, right, or center. And I would like to tell you that the facts of this case in Michigan are very very unique are there other parents who get their kids guns yeah don't are there other parents who get threatening text messages or thoughts of violence from their kid yeah say something go secretary johnson if you see something say something but all of the facts together in this case that's what added up to this verdict So I in no way believe that this is gonna open Pandora's box of verdicts against parents as a way to somehow get a pound of flesh for the horror that is a mass shooting where the majority of time the mass shooter ends up dead. I need to blame somebody. That is our society. That is how we are. When something bad happens to us, it can't be us. It's gotta be somebody else. It's got to be the cloud over my head. It's got to be the fault of someone who, but for what they did or didn't do, I would not be suffering from that which I'm suffering from. God forbid there's any accountability. God forbid things just happen in a vacuum. There's got to be a reason. I understand I've had bad things happen to me and you want to blame somebody. You want to, you need to. It's the only way to get through it. But sometimes that's just not how it is. I have given you my opinions about gun violence, and I do not believe that there will be one fewer mass shooting because the mass shooter is concerned that his or her parents or their parents will be potentially held responsible. I do not believe there'll be one fewer mass shooting because a parent will pay more attention to their sick child thinking about this verdict in Michigan, I have no illusion that any progress of any kind is made from this one-off verdict. The progress comes with the education that I hope parents and teachers have and schools have, and the power that I want schools to have to remove children, to search children's items. David, how can you give up the constitutional right to privacy? I'll tell you how, the same way I don't care about it, making people go through a metal detector before they come into my ballpark or a plane that I'm gonna be on. You are giving up your right to privacy when you are engaged in public events. You wanna be in your own house, run around naked with your head on fire as far as I'm concerned, don't care. It all goes down to what you know is my general philosophy. Live and let live. Be who you wanna be, be yourself. Dance like nobody's watching. But don't get my way of what I'm doing. And if I'm in school trying to learn, if I'm at a ballpark trying to watch a game, if I'm on a plane trying to get somewhere, I don't wanna be interrupted by someone who is sick, who is ill-intended who has not been properly taken care of, whether it's by the government, by his family, by himself, herself, I don't want my life impacted. So as prosecutors decide how to assign blame, that's their job, how to apportion blame, that's a jury's job, how to find negligence or recklessness, there is no set precedent now because of the Michigan case. Our law will continue to roll merrily on as we try to cure what ails us. When the cure is right there in front of us, guns. There are no mass shootings with knives or bow and arrow. I appreciate that question. All right, before we leave today, we're about to be out of time. I am super excited for the Super Bowl. I want to remind you that the Chiefs are going to cover. Because when it comes to pick of the day, it's just business. And we need a win, baby. Let's go McCaffrey anytime touchdown. We'll see you Monday live at 8 a.m. Thanks for a great week together. Enjoy sporting class today. And don't forget to tune in to the Levitard Show. They're in Vegas with another show coming out today. Viva Las Vegas. This is Nothing Personal. Oh, 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 oh oh, 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 oh